Well, good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing? Man, that's kind of hard to follow, but it's kind of a softball for what I'm talking about, so I'm going to roll with it. Hey, if you're tuning in to Facebook Live, I want to say welcome to you guys as well. Really glad that you're joining us. My name is Justin, and I'm the worship and missions pastor here. And I'm really excited to be jumping into our summer series. It's a summer stories, kind of a tongue twister. But basically, the premise was we were to pick a, a story that we like and preach on it. So it's kind of, kind of an easy assignment. Um, and so I'm really excited. Uh, we're going to be talking this morning about this character named Philip. So he's this guy in the New Testament. We find him in Acts. And uh, so that's kind of where we're going to dive in. Um, but before we do it, I'm going to ask you guys to stand. I like to stand when we uh, read, the, read the word. So uh, this is the main excerpt that we're going to be looking at. So this is Acts 8, starting in uh, verse 26 and following. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, he asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. You guys can be seated. Jesus, thank you. Um, for the chance this morning to look at your word and to, to look at this story, this amazing account. And uh, Lord, these words aren't, uh, aren't anything new. They're nothing that, that everybody here hasn't heard in some capacity or another. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would breathe life into them, um, that you would uh, work it this morning in a way that mobilizes us into the work that you're doing in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what's happening. Um, Acts 1 through 6, leading up to this, is kind of the story of the early church. So um, we see kind of accounts of explosive growth happening in the church at this point. And uh, the religious leaders don't really like what's going on. And so they start, you know, imprisoning people and persecuting the church. Acts 7 is this account of Stephen who uh, is, is the first martyr for Christ. And so after, after this martyrdom happens, there's this great uh, persecution that breaks out and the church kind of scatters. And uh, Acts, 4, or Acts 8 verse 4 says this about this group. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They preached wherever they went. So I'm gonna get to the point right away. If you don't remember anything else this morning, which is very possible, if you don't remember anything I say, remember this, right? Missions is here and now, not there and then. Say that with me. Missions is here and now, 
not there and then. So I want to define, before we move on, this churchy term called missions, right? In church circles, we use this term. It's not actually a word in the Bible, but when we talk, when we talk about missions, we're talking about joining God in his work around the world to reconcile all things to himself. It's about proclaiming this good news to the world. So I've been leading missions now for almost a year. And it's been really, really encouraging uh, to see how this, this group is engaging. We've got this year over 60 people engaged in international missions work. I mean, that's a really encouraging thing. Beyond that, we've got tons of folks engaged with Youth for Christ and Teen Challenge and Safe Families and Migros Aid and several other organizations in the area. It's really encouraging. I do want to pick apart our understanding of missions a little bit, though. I believe we have great engagement happening. I pray it continues to increase, but I want to ask this question of us. What does missions look like in your everyday life? I believe that one of the greatest problems I see in the church today, not just our church, I think the big C church in America, is that we've adopted this idea that joining God's purposes to seek and save the lost, joining in on missions is a church activity. It's something we've compartmentalized to something we do in a week overseas during the summer. We go down on a Saturday to the city. And I don't want to downplay, obviously, any of those, those engagements. In fact, I'm wildly in favor of them. I think that's actually the scope of missions. It's all people everywhere in every part of the planet. But I wonder if we've just made it something that's reserved for an activity with a church group. I think it has to start in our everyday lives long before we ever engage in cross-cultural or overseas work. And for the believers in the early church, their mission given by Jesus in Matthew 28 to go was just part of the fabric of who they were. It was everyday life. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. The story of Philip and the Ethiopian is a story that illustrates well uh, what missional everyday life with Jesus looks like. So let's talk about Philip. He was a guy that embraced here and now. And uh, he isn't the apostle. If you remember, one of the 12 apostles was a guy named Philip. This is a different guy. This is, to differentiate, they call him Philip the Evangelist. And so he first comes on the scene two chapters earlier in Acts 6. And I think it's an important context for us to have to him. And this is a point in the church, if you remember, where the growth was rapid um, and people were, were being overlooked. So believers, there actually was a group of like widows that it talks about how they weren't receiving their food portions. And so uh, they needed to, to, to hire some more staff, right, um, to help with pizza delivery and whatnot. So Acts 6, we're going to read this uh, verses 2 and following. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. That's the Stephen we were just talking about. And also Philip. And then list some other guys. And then we'll move down to verse seven. It says, so the word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And I love this account because it almost sounds like there's a hierarchy of importance in the ministry that they're doing, right? But that's not it at all. What they're talking about is there were these roles that needed to be filled by every person in everyday life. 
And the result was the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased and large numbers of priests became obedient to the faith. Massive growth and priests, teachers of the old covenant now taking on the new covenant. It's incredible stuff. But it only happened because people like Philip said everyday life needs to be used in this way. Whatever it looks like, wherever it is, to whomever, even if it's delivering pizzas, right? Philip understood that missions is here and now, not there and then. He also understood here and now living, it requires people who are willing and available. So before I uh, started working at Eagle full-time, I worked at Starbucks. Are there any Starbucks people here? Oh, man. Um, it was way too long. I worked there before Jan and I got married up to the time I started here, something like seven and a half years. So it's funny because I go to like, Meyer, for example, or anywhere in kind of the Zionsville, Lebanon area. And I see people and I recognize their drinks, not their names, you know. So um, I'm not going to say names. I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. These are some drinks among you, all right? So some of you drink these things, okay? We have a grande, non-fat, no foam, no water, 135 degree chai tea latte. We have a quad venti, non-fat, extra whip, white mocha with caramel sauce. Anybody get that non-fat but extra whip? And caramel sauce. The caramel's good, though. We have a Trenta Passion Tea Lemonade, light ice with half a sweet and low and a sleeve. So half a sweet and low. I don't think you can even taste that, right? And then a sleeve is for the hot cups. Like, come on, y'all. Like, I would just, please don't do this to Sue or Janine or Vonda or whoever, everybody else out at the coffee bar there. Please don't do that. Anyways, um, Coffee has nothing to do with it. See, after Jana and I got married, which actually yesterday was 11 years for us, so that's kind of exciting. Yeah, 11 years. Yeah, she's been duped. Um, so we moved to an amazing place called Kokomo, Kokomo, Indiana. And it's not as cool as the Beach Boys make it sound. In fact, I would encourage you to go to any of the other places they list before Kokomo. Um, <laughs> But there was logic, maybe not good logic, but logic. I had um, somehow been accepted to Indiana Wesleyan uh, University in Marion. Uh, my high school transcripts had nothing to do with that, I'm sure. But, um, but I got in, and so we moved up there. I was going to go to Ivy Tech, get some prereqs out of the way. Jana was going to go to IU Kokomo. Um, so kind of there was some logic, but what happened is we've been married for about seven months and found out we we're having a baby, Bram. And... Uh, we didn't really plan on that. I'm still not sure how it happened, but it did. And uh, I'm really thankful um, that this isn't what happens when you, when you have babies. Throw that up there, Mike. Uh, have you ever seen the face swap app? That's me and Jana swapping faces. Yeah, it's really, it's awful. Isn't that creepy? All right, let's get rid of that. Anyways, so both of us in, Mike, come on, dude. Thank you. So both of us in school, both of us working, bring a kid into the picture, no money for things that kids need, uh, which is a lot. So we moved back home. And this launched a seven-year journey of state college, not Christian school, and I wasn't going to med school, it was just normal guy school. Uh, launched a season of working at Starbucks with really low pay, a really hard schedule, and it was kind of a season of trying to figure out how do you be a husband and a dad? And I felt, though, like God was kind of messing with me a little bit. I was sure that he'd called me into ministry to join his mission uh, in the really important work. But I felt like my day-to-day -day life was just kind of mundane. It was difficult and honestly a little bit unimportant. Has anybody else been there? Anybody else feel that? 
I had a different plan than this though. I, I thought I had to go to Christian college, get a four-year degree, so I could learn the right theological answers, learn the latest trends in church, learn how to preach, save the comments, uh, how to help people, how to lead, and so on. Then I would be ready to join God in his work in the world. I wasn't willing and available to be used by God however and wherever and whatever that looked like. I thought ministry and mission were something that was for then and there, a different place, a different time, with certain qualifications. But God began to speak to me, and it started early in those seven and a half years. He'd say things like, his mission and ministry had more to do with loving God and loving people than a buttoned-up theology. It had more to do with willingness than right qualifications. And as the Lord began to work in me this way, I began engaging coworkers and customers. And as I reflect on it, those were some of the most um, meaningful personal ministry years of my life. And I kind of oftentimes look back and go, man, I, I want to be in that sort of space where I'm surrounded by people that need Jesus again. I had to learn what Philip understood, that his effectiveness wasn't dependent upon his status and the tasks he was given to do. It depended on his availability and his willingness. And before Philip would ever become Philip the evangelist, he had to be faithful as the pizza delivery guy. So we're going to move over to Acts 8 and... Uh, Pick up in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes south from Jerusalem to Gaza. So what did he do? He started out. He was available and willing. He started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way uh, home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So here's kind of the second principle. Here and now living requires proximity to the lost, requires being near to the lost. Proximity matters because if you aren't proximate to people, you don't know what they need. So here's an example of proximity gone wrong. So this is, uh, on Thursday, we had a show. I play in a band. We had a show. And uh, we played at this thing called the North American Christian Convention, right? And this is happening. We don't normally, we don't normally play like Christian events. We, uh, um, but, so this was a little bit of a different context for us. Anyways, we'll just say there were some more like reserved folks at this thing. And this happens. And you would have thought, like, Kyle and... Kyle's playing bass up here, by the way. So, just to... You, you would have thought Kyle and Hunter were part of, like, Van Halen or Guns N' Roses or something. But So, we weren't familiar with this particular group of people. So, we just kind of did what we do, and we had a great time. And, and uh, But it might have been a little over the top. Things got a little out of hand. And a worship set might have been more in step with what they wanted, right? My point is, proximity helps you know people's needs. It helps you understand their needs. Philip was willing when the Spirit said to go into this no man's land desert because he understood that to relationally engage with people, you have to be near them. Did you catch that in, 20, in verse 29? The, Philip, or the Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. He hadn't, he hadn't engaged him yet. He just was being proximate. Philip was like totally that creepy guy in the, in the grocery store that you cross paths with a hundred times, you know? or the, the awkward eye contact. Anyways, uh, becoming proximate, though, it's an intentional choice that can lead to a trusting relationship between people. 
Can you imagine in our culture what would happen if we chose to be proximate with people that had different life experiences, that have different backgrounds, that have a different outlook on the world? What if we became proximate with them? It's an intentional choice. And my guess is that we'd become much more compassionate and willing to work together. We'd have a deeper burden to share the love of Jesus with them. A couple of weeks ago, our, our elder board went on what we called a cultural tour of the near west side of Indy, uh, where Allie King lives and Danny Marquez, he works down there. There's a city life uh, a, a group that's meeting down there. And there's a picture of that group that went, but that's our elders and then some uh, YFC staff and then uh, pastors. But we just kind of toured the neighborhood to kind of understand. And we've been having great interactions in the community there, but as I've been talking with Danny and Ali especially, we've been talking about how it's felt like transactional. So what we've been doing is really meaningful as kind of first steps of getting into the neighborhood, but it feels a little more transactional. And we want to see relationship happen. And so we want to see it move from transaction to relationship, but to do that, you have to be proximate. So we went on a tour to become a little more aware of the neighborhood, to understand the realities up against that neighborhood. And a couple clear things kind of came out of that. First was proximity is, is essential to figuring this thing out. We've got to get in relationship. We've got to be near this community if we have any chance of understanding all that's up against them. Like they're always top five in that neighborhood in violence and crime and poverty, educational failure, all these things. We have to be close to the neighborhood to understand. And second, proximity is going to cost us way more than we probably realize. It's going to cost us a lot. It's a significant sacrifice. It could cost time and comfort, resources. But I love it because this is the exact example that Jesus set for us by coming to the earth. You ever thought about that? Came from heaven. Remember, he came from heaven to earth. Never mind. Um, but he did that to be proximate to us, Right? Philip's proximity to this Ethiopian man built trust and it led to an opportunity to teach him God's word. And maybe for you, your step of engaging, becoming proximate with people is joining this movement in the near west side. Maybe that's it. But I'll back it up even further and go, maybe it's inviting your neighbor for dinner. Maybe it's stepping into the life of one of your neighbors. Whatever it is here and now living requires proximity to the lost. We're going to move on and pick up in verse 34. So the Ethiopian guy, he's reading this uh, passage out of Isaiah. It's actually uh, chapter 53. It's a prophecy about Jesus. So he reads it, and then he asks Philip this question. Tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So Philip was willing to go wherever and do whatever God asked him to do. He became, became proximate to this guy. But what if he gets there? Like, what's he have to offer him when he gets there? Well, he has God's word implanted in his heart. It was pouring out of his life. So the third thing we need to know about this is here and now living, it requires immersion in scripture and following Jesus. Immersion and following. Philip was effective only because he was immersed in God's word. Remember Acts 6, uh, Philip was a person who was full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. And this doesn't just happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. 
He was able to help this man because the answer to his questions was in his heart. It was implanted in his heart through God's word. And the second component there is following Jesus. So immersion following Jesus. And if you have a printed bulletin, I'll just call out the elephant in the room. It says immersion in scripture and obedience to it. And I just kind of have been stewing with it for a few days and I don't really like the word obedience. Um, I feel like there's kind of a, like a legalistic sort of context to it, rules-based sort of context. And, and I just believe that following Jesus is a privilege. Like it's a joy. It's the, it's the best way of life. It's a full life. Following Jesus means that we're looking at God's word and we're modeling our lives after how Jesus lived. I wonder if Philip told the Ethiopian about Jesus' baptism. I think it was a fundamental part of this guy's spiritual formation was that following Jesus' example of living was just assumed. I'll take the opportunity to say now that if you haven't been baptized, maybe you'll follow Jesus' example. And this guy's, uh, August 26th, right? That's the Sunday, the 26th. We've got a baptism service. Maybe this is your step of obedience. Is the way you live informed by how Jesus lived. Here and now living requires immersion in scripture and following Jesus. You know, I, I really believe like in my, every fiber of my being that mission is an everyday thing. It's something that has to be a part of our lives. And if I'm honest, I'm just kind of not very good at it a lot of times. Like it's really hard. So we've got a we had some neighbors that lived next to us for a few years and we really enjoyed hanging out with them. They, they have, uh, had a little kid and our kids played together and we hung out on the patio and we were kind to them. We displayed Christ's love, but we lived next to them for about four years. And I never once shared Jesus with them. Never once. And they just moved. And it's one of those things that... Um, I feel like I, it was kind of an idolatry of, of comfort maybe, my sin of caring about what other people think more than God. I was content to simply display Christ, but not proclaim him. And I think it maybe has something to do with the fact of how easily I can forget how desperately I need God. It's how easily I forget like who I was before Christ got a hold of my life. And, and that's a truth and a reality that the world desperately needs, including these neighbors of mine. And I just missed an opportunity. And I think that were Philip simply to come alongside of this guy, he's in a desert, right? And throw him a bottle of water. Like he probably needed a bottle of water. But if he just came alongside, threw him a bottle of water, displayed Christ's love, and then kept on his way, I think one, I think it would be insufficient for what the guy actually needed. And two, I think it would have been apathy to, to what the Spirit asked him to do. And maybe this morning, you're at a similar place as me where you've leaned pretty heavily on displaying Christ's love without the needed proclamation of Christ to go with it. How might the Spirit be asking you to be more proactive in living a life that displays and proclaims Jesus to the world? The Lord's been asking me to take the posture of this early church in Acts 6 to preach the word wherever you go, that his word would be on my tongue. And so we now have a new neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. And uh, I've kind of just committed to the Lord that when I see him, I'm going to engage with him. Not, not because there's an agenda, but because, man, Jesus' love is too good not to share. He's changed my life, and I pray this guy can experience it too. Who's that person in your life? Does anybody come to mind?
May we at Eagle Church increasingly become a community that's engaged in mission here and now, not waiting on something there and then off in the future, here and now. Amen. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for the invitation to join you in the work that you're doing in this world. Lord, we recognize that it costs us something to really engage in what you're doing. And Lord, I just pray that you'd give us um, a deeper understanding of, of uh, what you've done for us, that it would change us and challenge us and move us into action in whatever context we find ourselves in. Lord, we want to be people who are living on mission here and now, not waiting for something down the road. Holy Spirit, would you guide us? Would you empower us? We love you and we worship you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. May you be people who carry the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's you. That's every one of you, wherever you're at. So may you go carrying the good news of Jesus, proclaiming it and displaying it in Jesus' name. Have a great week.